Hey everyone, welcome to Go Bold. In this episode, we are focusing on NATO Enhanced Air Policing. Specifically, Block 54 of the Enhanced Air Policing mission, which took place in Romania. NATO Air Policing is a peacetime mission that aims to preserve the security of Alliance airspace. It is a collective task, and it involves the continuous presence of fighter aircraft and crews which are ready to react quickly to possible airspace violations. The ability to deploy on such missions takes a lot of planning, training, coordination, and logistics. The training happens well before the deployment, and it actually continues through the deployment itself, as you will hear in this episode. Our guest is Royal Canadian Air Force Lieutenant Colonel David McLeod, who was the commanding officer of 433 Tactical Fighter Squadron, a CF-18 Hornet squadron which is based at Canadian Forces Base Bagotville. Colonel McLeod served as the commander of Air Task Force Romania during Block 54, and that was a four-month deployment that took place in the latter half of 2020 and ended in early 2021. I had the opportunity to interview him just at the end of that deployment. There's a few reasons we are publishing this interview now. First, we here at Go Bold strive to preserve history through first-hand accounts. This bit of history is important because the deployment happened in the early days of the COVID pandemic and into the second wave, so that was a challenge for all involved. The other reason we are publishing this episode is because our next episode focuses on the following iteration of Canada's Enhanced Air Policing mission in Romania. So we think it'll be interesting to hear any differences in the way the deployments were carried out. So please keep an ear out for the next episode as well. As for Block 54, let's roll the music. Hey everybody, welcome to Go Bold. I'm your host, Jody Atariwala, and today I'm very privileged to have on the line a Royal Canadian Air Force fighter pilot. He is the detachment commander for Air Task Force Romania, and we're speaking to him from Romania today. So, without further ado, Lieutenant Colonel David Tickler McLeod, thank you so much for joining us. That's my pleasure. Hey, it's great to have you on the on the line here. So, Colonel, tell me about this deployment. When did the planning begin and what squadrons did you guys pull from? Um, how many jets did you guys decide to take out, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, the, the planning actually started in December of 2019 for this rotation. Um, and I was fortunate enough to bring a couple of my key, uh, key planners with me uh, here to Romania to actually visit the last detachment. We spent about two days here. Um, the commander of the last detachment, Lieutenant General Forrest Rock, he's a good friend of mine. Um, so it, it was a good opportunity for us to see the setup on the ground here. Uh, that proved to be a particularly invaluable visit um, because we, we got started slowly with the planning in January. We start working on, okay, who are we going to bring with us? Um, what kind of equipment are we going to start to look at? And we go, we rotate every year with this mission because we know it's, it's pre-planned we rotate through the different fighter squadrons. So this year uh, is four three three fighter squadrons uh, turn. Um, and uh, I had known at that point that I was selected to be the commanding officer of four three three squadron. Um, and with that deployment, 
uh, of that squadron comes the, the job as well of being the Air Task Force Commander. So we got into planning uh, January, February, um, just taking small bites out of the planning process and starting to think about some of the things that we want to do, and then March hit. And uh, everything slowed down. We were still able to work on some of this stuff from home, but um, obviously very preoccupied with the onset of the pandemic. Uh, with, with adjusting how we we're going to work. I mean, first with all the, the sort of lockdown shutdowns at first, then adjusting how we would work at the base at home. Um, so when we got back started with planning again in more of the April timeframe, um, now we were brainstorming, okay, how are we going to do this if we don't have the chance to bring uh, what we call attack refugee teams? So normally, even though we come here every year, um, we joke that every time is the first time um, because we pack everything up at the end of the mission, right? And then we, we send some of it home, we store some of it here. Yeah. Um, and when we come back, it, it's gonna look a little bit different because another nation may have come in here to use the same facility to do air policing and the like. So normally we would still make that trip with about a dozen people um, just to check up on things, maybe check some things that we knew were being built or changed and see how it's developed. For example, last year, they started a, a big construction project here at the airfield, building a new ramp for heavy aircraft, C-17s and the like to park. Okay. Um, and that impacts the taxiways. So that's going to have an impact operation. But we couldn't actually come and see and visit that in person. So we had to think outside the box and, and come up with this kind of virtual attack wrecking plan where we would set up these video teleconferences and teleconferences with our Romanian partners and allies here, the Americans that we're co-located with, um, and start going through that process. And at the same time, there was a very real discussion about like, hey, do we still, are we still doing this in the middle of a pandemic? We'll keep planning. Uh, and that was the question we lobbed up. I mean, it, you know, at the Lieutenant Colonel and lower level, that's not a question that I'm gonna answer. Um, sure. We thought about it and we said, you know, I think we can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we talked to higher headquarters, um, they were listening and, and they had the same thoughts, but they're like, but this is a serious discussion. And, and so they took that and. Uh, and they mulled that over, but we just kept on planning. Um, we just started adding in all sorts of new considerations. I mean, we all quarantined for 14 days and COVID tested before we deployed. Mm-hmm. But now we have to think through, okay, how are we going to prepare the jets? If, if my whole crew of technicians has to then now factor in this 14-day quarantine, you know, before we could all do pre-deployment leave and then a little bit of work. And then everybody gets on the passenger airplanes and we get in the in the F-18s and we fly across the Atlantic and we start the mission. Well, now it's like, we got to do all that work. Then 14 days of quarantine and testing. Yeah. And then you can go overseas. Right. So um, I really have a, a lot of thanks to 425 Squadron for helping us out for that, our, our sister squadron in Bagotville, because uh, with all of my technicians in, in various stages of, of quarantine or leave, um, we really had to have them help us get the jets ready to uh, to deploy and, and get out the door. So mm-hmm. um, all of that stuff um, changed the focus of our planning a little bit um, to instead of trying to do do funky new things uh, on this rotation. So no, let's focus on on the simple things. Let's focus on doing this this the simple way um, so that we can get the job done in this environment. Um, and that's really something that I'm proud of, and I hope that. Uh, uh, all of my task force members are really proud of because we've we've been able to come out here and show that we can do this job in this environment. And we can we can accomplish the mission um, and get everything done successfully. So it's it's been a, a really interesting process, um, really gratifying to get to this point. 
uh, where we're packing things up and, and getting ready to go home. Right on. What did you find was the most difficult aspect of the COVID? Um, I don't want to say restrictions, but just the environment. You know, you kind of mentioned about yeah. the about the leaves and, and what have you, but was there any kind of impediment in terms of like Romanian requirements versus Canadian or, or was that all fairly smooth or even places where you'd have to stop as you transit the jets across the Atlantic? Yeah, fortunately, because we were doing that quarantine and testing, mm-hmm. uh, we did stop in Iceland with the jets on our way in. Um, and because we had done that quarantine and testing, uh, Iceland had no problem with it. We were actually a little bit more preoccupied with just making sure that we maintained a, a bubble as we transited. Because we were coming into the base here where it's a, a barracks environment. Um, so, you know, that in that kind of a closed environment, something like COVID-19, much like influenza or gastro uh, or norovirus or something like that. I mean, those things spread super fast in this kind of environment. So we have to be really careful before we come into this space. Um, and so that was that was definitely a concern. We did have restrictions that we imposed on our own, our own folks. We started the mission not being allowed to go off the base um, okay. until we had a better idea of the situation, uh, the pandemic situation in Romania here. Mm-hmm. We were able to let folks off the base to go just outside the base, a couple of restaurants so they could experience some Romanian food and, uh, and stuff. But then the second wave hits uh, end of October, early November here, and uh, we had to turn that down. I think the biggest challenge is that when we go on these deployments, we're away from home or away from family. So we do a lot of group activities. Um, and in previous versions of this or previous rotations on this, um, our folks have been able to go and explore the countryside and go actually experience some Romanian culture. Well, now we're restricted to base. We're restricted from doing a lot of these group activities that we want, that's been really tough. Uh, it's been really tough for our folks to work through that. We've been able to find some ways to do some activities uh, where we follow all of our good PHMs and masks and distancing and stuff, mm-hmm. but we've definitely had to, to cut down on that. So that's, the gym becomes really important for everybody, um, you know, finding some of those uh, uh, Christmas activities, uh, we were able to do a bit of a, a true, traditional troops Christmas dinner. So we had a caterer prepare a nice Christmas dinner. And the officers and senior NCOs, we all served the troops in, in the really traditional military manner, which was great. Nice. Um, so we were able to do some things, but um, but not as much. And that's probably the biggest hit, the, the toughest thing for, for our folks to work through on this rotation uh, has been working through that. It's a good demonstration of capability for sure. Um, so when you decided to go across, how many jets did you decide to take? And, and did you take any two-seaters at all? We did not bring any two-seaters. Um, it's uh, a bit of a calculated decision for that because we do, it's particularly in Bagotville, we have less two-seaters there because the training squadron, 410 squadrons in Cold Lake. Right. Um, so we only have a handful, a small number in Bagotville, and we use them for check rides and things like that. So um, we did not plan and we didn't bring a two-seater here. We brought six jets this time around. I think last year they had five, I believe. Right. Um, and we did six jets, but we did maybe a little bit of less of the exercises. Well, the why is is really embedded in the pandemic and the support train that we need for this. Uh, Task Force Latvia, Task Force uh, Unifier in Ukraine. We have all these other operations that the Canadian Forces has to support. So we had to be a little bit smarter this year about what spares do we bring and what um, you know, what kind of resupply time can we rely on? 
you know, DHL and FedEx and Purelater and stuff, they still want to be able to guarantee overnight delivery. But the reality is that they can't right now, right? Uh, even today. So if yeah. we needed to ship parts commercial, that might take a week or two. Um, so we needed to plan to, to have an extra aircraft um, on the line here to really make sure that we weren't putting our operational capability at risk. Um, it, I have to say it worked out quite well. Um, we, we did not lose um, any of our QRA time due to maintenance. Um, and that's because of that planning and bringing that extra jet. Awesome. And I guess that logistics tail, COVID influences that as well in the sense that you talked about the commercial side of, of logistics, but you know, if you had to bring a, a C-130 or a C-17 and those guys all have to go through that same kind of, uh, I guess, protocol. Yeah, they have. Um, I'd have to look it up. I know that they've they've really looked because those folks are around the world all the time still, and so um, you know they they are really working hard. In um, when they're home, I'm not sure. You know, when they're on duty, they're probably just spending time at home as isolated as possible. And and out here, we we support them as best we can. Um, there's a couple of hotels that our our task force flight surgeon went and checked out to make sure that they would meet minimum like hygiene standards and um, you know you don't want to end up at, at uh, someplace that looks good on the internet right and then and it turns out to not be so great that those exist all around the world right right so um, you know so the doc went and checked all that stuff out and so there was a couple of hotels that she said were okay and there's, like there's a small hotel right by the airport so we tried to put them up there um, saved them a lot of time and stuff too um, but yeah, we, we definitely had a few of those flights coming through every month um, and even bringing some nice stuff from home. So um, big shout out to our honorary Colonel uh, Luke Wavang, he's the honorary Colonel for 433 Squadron. His family owns, um, so uh, uh, cheese manufacturing. Sure. And uh, as you well know, in Quebec, uh, cheese curds to make a good poutine are super important. And uh, he was able to get some good morale shipments on a couple of those flights. Uh, we've got some good pictures kicking around of uh, poutine night that we had at our Canada House tent back in uh, September, I think it was. So, um, awesome. you know, those those flights really are a lifeline for us. Sure, sure. Oh, well, uh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, so in terms of transiting across the Atlantic, uh, tell me about that. How was that evolution and what route did you take and any issues along the way at all? Yeah. Uh, we took what we would call the northern route for us. So we went from Bagotville to Keflavik in Iceland, mm -hmm. and then from Iceland into Romania. Uh, we use our Airbus uh, Polaris tanker. Uh, and uh, this time we planned, again, because of the pandemic, we know that it's difficult to, um, to move people around rapidly uh, across continents and countries. So uh, we organized to have a C-130J from Eightwing Trenton come along and pick up some parts and some technicians from Three Wing and Bagotville from Marsh Water. Uh, and they followed us along. So not something that we would normally do. Normally we would sort of reserve that. We maybe we'd put some equipment on the tanker um, and then we'd reserve that sort of phone a friend to, to our air operations center in Winnipeg if we had some some major snags or breaks on the on the aircraft. Um, well this time we knew that uh, that would be a lot more difficult. So we put a bunch of parts on there. Uh, landed in, in uh, Keflavik and sure enough, uh, you know, we had a, at least one generator fail from what I recall. And um, so having that maintenance team was clutch. Um, those guys uh, were able to get to work on the jets uh, very quickly 
and it did not impact our transit plan at all. So we didn't have any delays through Iceland, which was awesome. Yeah. Uh, definitely with like the COVID concerns too. We just didn't want to have to be stuck somewhere for too long. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. Support there was great. Um, the, the Icelandic Coast Guard that runs the base there, they hooked us up with a local catering company that was able to deliver food to our barracks where we were staying. Um, so that was nice, uh, especially, since, and we were just able to keep our bubble, you know, um, and not not really risk breaking that at all through the transit, which was great. Um, a couple of days later, going from Iceland into uh, Romania, um, you know, for us as fighter guys, we don't do a lot of flying in Europe. So we were, we, we, again, we phone a friend, we get our transport guys, the tanker guys, they help us out, get our flight plans in everything. And I was with the first wave. And so uh, here's your, your funny story for the transit, I guess. Uh, we finished filling up the tanks over Germany. Um, and we're talking to German military air traffic control. We're all good with the tanker. We send a tanker on their way. German military air traffic control is like, yeah, no worries. Your clearance will have it for you in, in uh, just a few minutes here. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, I don't know, wonders of modern technology. Uh, sometimes emails disappear or whatever. Our flight plan dropped out of the system. Oh, no. Now we're orbiting over Germany. Um, kind of, the tanker's already on its way back to Iceland. So we're like, okay, so how's this going to work? We're, now, we, now we start doing math, right? We're right. Yeah, math, right. Looking at our fuel levels. We're talking to Germany. Germany's talking next door to Poland, air traffic. And there's like, okay, so wait, so who's got what diplomatic clearance? This is why we always, you always bring a copy of your flight plan in the, in the jet with you. Right. You always, <laughs> always have all of your diplomatic clearances written out. And we just read it back word, like letter and number, everything yeah. uh, word for word. Yeah. Um, I think it probably took about 35 minutes, uh, 35 to 40 minutes by the time we had all of this sorted out. And they have us heading south in Germany. They're like, can you go through um, the Czech Republic? Can you go through? It's like, no, sir, we don't have diplomatic clearance to go through there. It, you know, it's one thing to take an Air, Airbus transport aircraft. It's, it's a different thing for you to take your, your fighter jets through someone else's country without asking permission first, right? <laughs> right, right, so, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> people get a little touchy about that, I can understand. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, jokes aside, we we, uh, we managed to get that clearance from Poland and get across the border as our route took us through Poland over uh, uh, the western part of Ukraine into Romania. But for a minute there, we were looking at divert fields in Germany going, okay, where's where's this space? Where's that base? Where, you know, where uh, might we be able to go uh, <laughs> if we can't make it to destination? Yeah. And then me, as the commander, I'm sitting there, you know, I've got one of my senior pilots, he's the flight lead for the mission. So um, I was flying as number two and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going and he's thinking about, okay, where, where are we going to be able to divert to? And I'm thinking about, okay, who do I have to call to make sure that we don't have like customs freaking out and, you know, that we don't create some sort of diplomatic incident. Or, you know, so, um, those long transits, there's, uh, there's always these curveballs, and it's a great piece of experience. Um, I've done a couple of them across the Atlantic in my career. Mm -hmm. uh, every one of them is different. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's always, sometimes it's weather. Uh, this time the weather was just absolutely gorgeous for us the whole way across. It was just a, a breeze from that standpoint. But nice. you know, then we had some other challenges we had to deal with. So right. <laughs> uh, were you guys triple jug or did yeah. you? Have yeah, yeah, okay. three tanks and uh, uh, we put the fins on our training missiles on the wingtips. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Just because that affects the aerodynamics around the wingtips and and on those longer transits, just gives us a little bit of extra range. 
uh, which we were definitely grateful for over Germany. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good, good planning again. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you had been to the Romanian air base before, as you mentioned, your recce. Uh, what's that environment like? And, and, you know, we don't have to go into too much depth, but in terms of like the topography of where you're flying, what's that like? Um, yeah. How would you describe it? So it's, uh, I would, the simplest description would be it's kind of rolling planes uh, for where we are at in Romania. Um, so think sort of uh, uh, Calgary area as you get closer to the foothills. Um, okay. So, but, but mostly farmlands, not a lot of forest around where we are. Um, and on the Black Sea coast, we're a little elevated from the Black Sea coast, a few hundred feet up from sea level. Um, so we do get a lot of, especially in the November, winter, uh, December timeframe, a lot of that, um, you know, technical term would be like upslope flow. So that as the air comes off, all that humidity off the Black Sea starts coming up the slope towards the base, fog. Right. So, um, <laughs> yeah, November, December, lots of fog, uh, really thick fog. Like one day uh, I went and took some pictures, all six jets lined up nice and neat on the ramp. Yeah. Um, from one end, you could not, you could barely make out the sixth jet at the end of the line. Uh, that's wow. how thick it was. So, Holy smokes. Uh, you know, not flying in that stuff. Right, right. <laughs> right. Uh, but there's also some of the flying that we've been able to do. We did some exercises with some of our Canadian um, JTACs or four air controllers. Oh, um, excellent. Okay. So for a week, we had, they came out and they went up to the middle part of Romania. The range is called Chinku Range. And it's okay. around, it's near the town of Sibiu. Um, a nice range up there, a good range complex with some good targets and uh, all surrounded by mountains, uh, which is really just a beautiful area uh, up there for sure. Uh, mm -hmm. October weather was still pretty good. And uh, um, I mean, they've got some, well, I'd have to look at a chart to remember how high, but it's some reasonably high mountains uh, okay. in Romania as well. So um, definitely snow peaked even in, in October. Right. Um, Right. Well, uh, yeah, that that's a great opportunity. And, and, you know, it speaks to a little bit of some of the other things that you got to do beyond, obviously, the NATO air policing mission. But uh, if we were to talk about that specifically, when you are there, are you the primary fighter asset in Romania or are you augmenting the Romanian Air Force fighter? We augment. Uh, yeah, we augment the Romanian Air Force. Right. They're still using their MiG-21s to hold QRA, okay. um, but they are also more and more using their F-16s. Okay. Um, you know, they're officially uh, IOC or initial operational capable with their F-16s. Mm -hmm. I don't believe they've declared uh, full operational capability yet, um, but they're, they're definitely more than capable to take on the QRA role. Okay. Um, and, and so what we've seen is they kind of share it between the MiG-21s and the F-16s. They will always have uh, one or the other on alert. And then we, we just add to that. We augment to that. Mm -hmm. um, and when we, we do kind of a, um, a rotating schedule. So we're not on alert the entire time we're here, kind of like what they did last year. We try to make it a little unpredictable. It will do a week here, four days there, 10 days there. Um, and during those alert periods, we typically are the primary assets that are used for any airspace incursions over the Black Sea. Um, okay. But for anything domestic, like the hijack scenario was is always a national responsibility. So we would not be called out for that. That would be the Romanian fighters that would be scrambled for that. Okay. But uh, yeah, so kind of we augment and then we, we focus really on the, the NATO airspace uh, defense. Right. And that's a perfect segue to talk about uh, NATO interoperability. What does that mean yeah. to you? So really NATO operability to me is, is about 
having uh, the same training standards, uh, the same operating standards, so that when we go from one country to another, or when we're called to uh, conduct a military operation together as NATO allies, uh, that we have a common operating language. Uh, we don't all have the same capabilities, right? Uh, across all of the NATO countries. You just look at Baltic air policing, where none of the three Baltic countries have fighter jets. They have air forces, but they don't have fighter jets. Right. Um, so there, the NATO air policing there, they are the primary. If we didn't have NATO countries sending fighters up there, there wouldn't be any um, air defense posture for them from a fighter jet standpoint. Um, here, it's about being able to work seamlessly with the Romanians or as seamlessly as possible and speak that common operating language. So we have that same common command and control structure that goes through their control reporting center in Bucharest up to the Kayak and Torahan in Spain. Um, and all of the NATO operations and standards that are governed by all of that. So, uh, and it works really well. We're in our fourth iteration here at MK Air Base. Uh, it's the fifth time that we've sent an air task force into Romania here since 2014. And I was fortunate enough to deploy in 2014 as a major uh, with 425 squadron up in Camp Uterzi in the north part of Romania. Okay. So to see that and then to come here now in 2020, 2021, uh, it's really great to see the changes and the leaps and bounds that they've made, especially as they're integrating the F-16. They hadn't bought the F-16 yet at that point. It was in the plans, uh, but they hadn't received any. So um, that boost in fighter capability has been great to see. And we've been working with their F-16 pilots while we were here. Um, and, it, you know, it, it takes a, a quick coordination brief and, and then we're up there flying the same, uh, speaking the same language, you know, it's, it's really great. Awesome. Awesome. And so in terms of the actual NATO air policing perspective and sitting QRA, quick reaction alert, um, how many scrambles did you guys do? Uh, you know, there's, I know, training scrambles and then there's actual scrambles. So I don't know if you can distinguish the two for me. Yeah, I'd, I'd say we did sort of between five to 10 um, active scrambles. Um, we did conduct one intercept um, on an SC-27 type fighter that was out in the uh, in the Romanian FIR or flight information region. Mm -hmm. uh, it was back in September. Um, the Russians were running a, a very large exercise at that time mm -hmm. uh, called Exercise Kavkaz. And they run that exercise every four years. So um, they, they had a big focus on that um, and it, uh, fairly quiet afterwards um, mm -hmm. in terms of the, the scramble activity. When we're, whenever we're on alert, though, we'll do these tango scrambles, the training scrambles. Right. Um, and that's just a good way to keep our pilots sharp and our crews sharp, um, yeah. get us up flying and, and doing some good training so that we're not just sort of sitting on our hands all day waiting for uh, waiting for the alarm to go off. Right, right. And in terms of that particular intercept with the Su-27 type fighter, um, I know from previous iterations that oftentimes you guys will use your targeting pod to kind of identify. And uh, was there anything kind of notable about this intercept and um, uh, how close did you get? What was their behavior like? You know, we're really fortunate. I think that, um, you know, I think a lot of people, well, I, I know a lot of people have seen, you've probably seen it. There's a a video that is around on YouTube, right, of, of B-52s flying, and you get some some Russian uh, Federation Air Force flankers that really cut across the nose, and it, yeah. it looks yeah. very aggressive. That's yeah. not what we see over here, because uh, air policing is a defensive peacetime mission. Um, sorry about the background noise. we got Blackhawks and Apaches here with the Army, so they're, it's they're, all uh, good. they're doing their nighttime stuff right now. But um, 
Yeah, so uh, when we see those aircraft come into the, the Romanian FIR, they, they're very professional. Um, you know, they're coming out to this side of the Black Sea, so they're not going to be antagonistic. Um, we, we get out there, we get some imagery. I'm, I'm sure they're probably trying to take pictures of us as we get close to them as well. Um, and, uh, you know, in this case, it was just literally uh, out there, uh, get some imagery uh, with the sniper pod uh, in this case. And then uh, they left the FIR, we turned around and, and came home. Um, so nothing, nothing too dramatic. Um, and that's what we expected of these intercepts. And, you know, our guys, we expect them to stay professional and we expect them to be professional with this stuff too. Hey folks, here's a message about our sponsor, Cubic Mission and Performance Solutions. Did you know that Cubic supports combat training by providing warfighters a common data model called SPEAR? And SPEAR stands for Simplified Planning, Execution, Analysis, and Reconstruction. SPEAR was envisioned, designed, and fielded by current and former warfighters. The software suite ingests data from multiple domains like air, land, sea, space, and cyber, and all environments like live, virtual, and constructive, regardless of how that data is captured, and it translates it into a common model. SPEAR is used to support mission planning, execution, and debrief, and it enables subjective data labeling and categorization throughout the mission cycle, the result of which is an enriched data file which can be used for learning management, readiness assessments, artificial intelligence, and machine learning advancement. The revolutionary SPEAR software allows warfighters to visualize operations throughout the mission training cycle or during combat operations, and that enables forces to understand multi-domain operations like never before. At all levels of combat preparation and execution, the SPEAR common data model enables real change. To learn more about it, please visit cubic.com. Now, let's get back to our chat. You also just spoke, obviously, to, to the Romanians having the F-16s and the MiG-21s. Uh, so that's a great opportunity to, to do dissimilar air combat training. And, uh, and I know that during this, this detachment that you guys trained with the Bulgarians, the Romanians, uh, the UK, and the US. So, um, yeah, if you could just tell me about some of those training opportunities. And there were two exercises that I know were of particular note. And... Um, if you could maybe just speak briefly to them as well, which was Blue Bridge and Thracian Viper or Thracian yeah, Viper. I'm uh, not sure how to, how to pronounce that. but Yeah, uh, Thracian Viper. Thracian Viper. Um, yeah, so those are two exercises. Blue Bridge is a, is a very specific cross-border operations exercise. It's very similar to some of the cross-border exercises we might do back home in North America, where we... Uh, we have an aircraft that comes and simulates a, a target. In this case, it was a Romanian C-27. And um, then the Romanians go and intercept it. We go up and join them to simulate like a handoff. And then we, the idea is that we then go across the border into Bulgaria and hand that, that aircraft off to the Bulgarian Air Force for them to continue uh, shadowing it or, or escorting it. Um, so that's an interesting one because you get a lot of a lot of different aircraft in a small space, and there's a lot of coordination that has to go on. You know, our our binational defense relationship with the United States is pretty special because we have that 
procedure down pat, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they work hard at it here as well, but they don't have the same relationship between Romania and Bulgaria that we do with our, our American friends and allies, right? So okay. um, there's more coordination that, they, that has to go on there. And so it's a, it's a good exercise to work through that. Um, so that was one day uh, in the middle of exercise Thracian Viper, which was a training exercise that the Bulgarians put on. Um, they We didn't get to fly with the Greeks, but uh, the Greek Air Force was a participant in that. Um, they flew in the southern part of Bulgaria. Uh, we flew with uh, the Bulgarians, uh, some U.S. F-16s that were there, uh, the Romanian F-16s and MiG-21s. Um, and uh, that one was a bit of a building block approach where we start with some dissimilar sort of uh, 1v1 or 2v1 type setups and work up to more 2v2s and, and stuff like that. So um, that was a big chunk of our September uh, when we were not holding alert. We also were able to do some more training in uh, in October and November, uh, particularly in, in October across the border in Bulgaria as well, um, because the US F-16 squadron was there. I believe it was the, the triple nickel, the 555th uh, fighter squadron doing air policing. And uh, uh, so do some dissimilar, dissimilar stuff with them, a little bit more 2v2, 2v4, uh, or 4v2 kind of, kind of stuff. Um, we were able to start doing some of that stuff just with the Romanian uh, F-16s as well, which was great. Um, and the dissimilar uh, air combat stuff with the MiG-21s is always an eye-opener for guys that have never, guys and gals that have never done it before. Um, you know, that jet goes very fast in a straight line and it's actually very tough to see. It's got right. a low profile. Right. The, and, you know, that head-on view, uh, it's tough. It's difficult to get a visual pickup on that. So. Yeah, um, that's definitely a, a big new experience for our pilots that have, that have never flown against it before. So we definitely capitalized on that as well. So awesome. uh, a little bit of naval integration. So the, the Royal Navy had one of their ships, HMS Dragon, in the Black Sea. Um, the U.S. Navy had the, the USS Donald Cook in the Black Sea, able to do a little bit of work with those um, as well. So still able to do quite a lot of training, despite all of the, the COVID uh, implications and restrictions. Uh, because we're all doing this based out of here, out of MK Airbase. So right. um, without having to travel, uh, we didn't need the tanker to go across into Bulgaria either. So uh, it was nice to be able to do all of that just from home plate here. Yeah, that's perfect. I know we're getting short on time. Uh, just got a couple other questions and then and then we'll wrap it sure, up if, yeah. if that's okay. So um, staying on the training theme, you know, I know that Canada's in Latvia as well. So what training did you guys do in that context? So we, we had wanted to get up to Latvia and do some close air support with the troops up there. Unfortunately, with the pandemic situation, um, there's a lot more risk in doing that. Um, uh, not every country wants you to come and visit necessarily. There's a lot of risk involved in just getting that far. Um, and uh, Latvia has their own very stringent COVID requirements um, that need to be met. Uh, the risk of having an airborne emergency and having to divert somewhere along the way, uh, getting the tanker involved and stuff. So early on, fairly early on in the planning process, we determined that uh, it wasn't going to be something that we were going to stretch to try and accomplish this year. Uh, we figured it was going to be a bit of a bridge too far from a support standpoint. Um, definitely something that next year's rotation might be able to take a look at as they, as they do their planning. And I know they did that past last year. Uh, their rotation and uh, really tried to do that the year before. Um, so it's definitely nice to be able to like, do that interoperability that 
airline integration with our own our uh, ground forces when we're here in Europe as well, uh, mm -hmm. because then they are also getting that integration piece uh, as well. Right. Right. Um, okay. Uh, cool. So uh, unfortunate, but hey, you know that's part of the yeah. thing. Yeah. So. Uh, one of the other big things that, that I've learned from this particular deployment was this is the first Canadian joint data link network in NATO. Tell me what that means and, and what that validated or tested or yeah. how you guys used it. So uh, as, as you know, we are link 16 capable. Mm -hmm. So the way I describe that to people that, that don't speak the lingo and know the, all of the technical jargon is it's kind of like the internet for airplanes. Um, but uh it allows us to connect and share tactical data link, uh, tactical data um, across a network of aircraft and ground stations and you know, ships and uh, uh, all sorts of different platforms. So what we did, and we've done this a few years, and, and this time we've, we've been able to integrate it just that extra step where uh, we take our own Link 16 ground entry station and we set that up here on the coast. So it's in a location where um, the Romanians don't have a station out here on the coast. So when we set it up and we plug into the network, now we're feeding uh, as a ground station into, um, because of how we were able to set it up this year, into the NATO combined operating picture um, mm. with Link 16 and with DataLink. So that means that anytime the AWACS is flying overhead or our F-18s are flying and we're part of the network, we're now feeding information back in through that loop here at MK. And it's a huge force enabler to be able to do that. Um, and it really helps us push out the, the Link 16 coverage for the operating area, uh, just because of where we're, where we're based and the capability that that brings. So there's a, you know, you just see a lot of technical jargon and, and acronyms that are thrown around with it. But in a nutshell, that's, that's essentially what it is. We've been able to take that data link cell uh, set it up here as a ground station and plug it into uh, the NATO defense network uh, with great success and, and push out the boundaries of, of where we can bring that network. That's fantastic. And so it, does that entail bringing radar as well, or is it just the Link 16 nope. network? Okay. It, it's really the network. And so uh, it's a ground station. We brought some data link technicians with us to run all of that kit. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't take up a lot of room, uh, to be honest. Wow. Cool. And so, so in theory, then the setup is not that difficult or, or to bridge into the NATO network. Um, was there teething paints or is it just kind of something that really, you know, like you said, it's not that, um, that complex to actually get into the network. Um, I mean, without getting into too many details, sure. uh, there was, yeah, there were some teething paints and just figuring out how we would take our system, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and integrate it into, cause we had to go through the Romanian system um, to then patch into the NATO network. Okay. Um, so that's where the complexity starts to get in. Right. Um, it, it's kind of like having an Apple product and an Android product sometimes. Sure. Um, you know, it, it's similar to that, where it's like, okay, wait, we've got to be able to get these two devices to talk to each other properly. Yep. And so that's some of the technical challenges that you have to work through as, as we put that stuff together. Right on. Okay. Um, so to kind of close the loop on all of this, if you were to tell me, hey, you know, this was kind of the highlight for me personally, um, not only just being the detachment commander, but you know, just being there and, and spending um, four four months in in four and a bit, four and a half, I guess, in, four and a half. in total in okay. country. So your kind of personal reflection on that, and also what lessons learned? Yeah, uh, 
it's uh, I hope it doesn't sound too cheesy. Uh, to be honest, I'm so proud of the team here for deploying in the middle of this pandemic. I mean, uh, I have two young kids at home. A lot of our folks have have families at home that um, as the second wave hits and everybody goes in, it went into lockdown again. And, um, you know, our families are, are needing that support at home. Um, we're experiencing a lot of the same things here. It's been really challenging for everybody here through the whole deployment because um, you can't go home quickly. I can't send them home quickly to, to support their families because, you know, quarantine requirements and stuff like that. And um, to, to see everybody pull together, even though we weren't able to do all these big activities that we wanted to do and all this stuff, they pulled together. They're professional. They focused on the mission. They focused on supporting each other, having each other's backs through all of this um, and getting the job done. And I'm just so proud to, uh, from everything they've accomplished, I feel, feel blessed to, to be able to work with this group of just outstanding individuals. Um, that's the biggest thing, uh, most positive thing that I'm taking away from this. Um, in terms of lessons learned, I think that it's really that all of these things that we're doing, wearing masks, uh, physical distance, um, we, we have to make sure that we, we uh, keep in mind the, the, the mental toll that that takes on all of us and, and make sure that we, we continue to be there for each other through all of this, but also that this stuff works, right? Like these measures are there for a reason um, and we've been able to keep people safe during the mission um, and, you know, like, that I think is a really valuable lesson that people should take from this is that, you know, trust the science, trust in, in these measures, they, they do work. Um, and we're gonna be living with this for a little while. So these lessons learned and how we deploy in this environment, uh, it's stuff that we're gonna need to continue to think of throughout this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And so in, in speaking about now kind of wrapping it up, you guys are pulling the plug and heading back home. Um, what's the routing back? And and uh, one thing I didn't ask is, um, you know, you brought six jets out. Uh, how many pilots did you bring? Uh, so our pilot rotations uh, figure around around the six number. We fluctuated up and down. Mm -hmm. um, right now we've scaled it back. So I've, uh, I'm kind of the backup guy, if you will, right now. But uh but we're on a fairly relaxed pace in, in some senses, um, you know, uh, to get home uh, in that, you know, if there's weather delays and stuff, we don't have to press the weather, right? Uh, we're gonna make right. sure this, this redeployment goes as safely and smoothly as possible. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna take the Southern route. Um, the Northern route through, through Iceland is always a big challenge this time of year. Southern route through the Azores, um, better sea states and better weather, generally speaking. So. Um, but you know, they've got a, there's a storm that went through there today, so um, you know still keeping a close eye on that, obviously. And uh, by the by late January, everybody will be back home, uh, safe and sound, and uh, reconstituting and taking a well-deserved break. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, Colonel McLeod, thank you so much for taking the time for me. I hope you have a safe journey home. Uh, this has been a pleasure. I, I've really enjoyed chatting with you, and I, I've learned some stuff. So. Uh, yeah, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Thanks, Joey. It's uh, awesome. a great time talking to you. Stay healthy and uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Take care of you as well. Safe journey home. Take Thanks. care. Cheers. Thanks a lot. The views and opinions expressed in this presentation are solely those of the participants. 
This podcast is copyright and all rights are reserved. No portion may be reproduced or used in any manner without the express written permission of the publisher who can be reached at goboldthepodcast at gmail.com. The music on this podcast is Parasail by Silent Partner.